Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 7 about the building of Noah's Ark and the faithfulness, obedience, and contentment that led God to invite Noah to come into the ark with him as God was already inside the ark. Now, we want to encourage you to download this message today at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Download or listen to all the messages from Friendship with God and Tom Cantor for free at our website, again, friendshipwithgod.org. And also, you can download the iTunes podcast of Friendship with God and get all the messages free on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, Passover will soon be here as well as Easter. And Tom Cantor has incredible teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. We want to encourage you to pick up this teaching on the Passover to give to any Christian or to a Jewish unbeliever at Passover time to help them see the truth and evidence of the scriptures in who the Messiah really is. Now, if you've never really studied the Passover and the importance of someone having their own personal lamb and the Jewish customs behind the Haggadah, we want you to pick up the personal relevance of the Passover from Tom Cantor. This teaching is yours and available for a gift of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. We'll send this to you. So call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are the God of the Word of God. And Lord, that through this Word, you want to bring us to yourself, teach us about yourself, guide us and have us to be more like yourself. And so we pray that the Word this morning would have that effect as we study it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 7, and we'll read here the first nine verses. Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, where it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou, and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. And of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female. To keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God commanded Noah. Now, here we are. So in our last study, we pictured this setting of chapter 7, verse 1. That's where we imagine that Noah was sitting down and he was looking at this massive structure of the ark. And we pictured that as he finished, he was there. There was the ark. He wiped his brow. He thought he'd just take a little time to look over the ark. There was the construction of the ark. It was all done now, and he was looking it over, and we can imagine him taking a final inspection, walking through the inside of the ark, looking it all over, looking at all those rooms, which are called cells or cabins, little rooms inside, looking over all the tar that was on the inside and the outside and that black watertight covering that spelled out safety. 
And then from the inside, he saw that running opening all along the top, about 18 inches uh, wide, that opening that ran underneath the roof that served to both give the light inside the ark and also to create that wonderful ventilation system. And then outside, as he went outside, we can imagine him walking around. And what did he see when he saw this? He essentially saw a box. I mean, that's what the ark was. It was just a box. No keel, no rudder, just a big, giant box. And if we considered that the cubit is 18 inches, then Noah looked at a structure that was 450 feet long. It was pretty long. And 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. It was about as tall as a little bit more than a four-story building. And if you wanted to build a cube and have the maximum volume inside that cube, the ratio that's given here between the length, the width, and the depth, that's the optimal. This ratio gives you the maximum volume inside a cube. I don't know if Noah knew that, figured it out, didn't really matter. But if you made any other cube of different ratios between the height, the width, and the depth, then you would have a cube that had less volume than the ark had their internal volume. So, well, God figured that out, so that was good. So anyway, Noah took him 120 years. We know from already in Genesis 4 and verse 22, Noah had the use of metal tools. So he didn't have, uh, you know, wooden mallets to put this together. But more importantly... Noah had the help of God in putting this ark together. As we look over this piece here, these chapters, we've come to chapter 7 here. What Noah saw was essentially, as we said, Noah looks at the ark and he says, when I look at this ark, I see the provision of God. God did not have to tell me to make an ark. He didn't have to give all the dimensions and so forth like that, but God gave that to me like a gift, like a provision, and it was that. Fortunately, he's not arguing with God. He's not saying, you know, I don't like the shape of this ark. He didn't say, I don't think it's comfortable enough. (laughs) He says he, he was just happy. He was content with what God had provided for him. And what made Noah the most fulfilled, the most happy during these 120 years when he's building this ark is the fact that he did it together with God. This was a joint project between God and Noah, and that was a wonderful thing. He was content with God. He was content with working with God. He was content with what God had provided for him, and that's a picture for us, Noah, there in Hebrews 13.5, where it says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So the spirit of, you know, I wish I had that house or that spouse or that car or that job or that money or that health or those looks or whatever, that sends two messages to God, that spirit of covetousness. Number one, because Hebrews 13 says, be content with such things as you have, it means that when we have the spirit of covetousness, we say to God, we're not happy with such things as God has provided for us. The second message it says in Hebrews 13.5, because it tells us the greatest possession of what we have is this statement that he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, which means that when we have the spirit of covetousness, the message that we're sending to God is that your presence with me, that's not enough. That's not enough to keep me happy. I need something or someone more. So Noah thought of all those years of building the ark. Now, Noah preached 
his sermon to a lost world. Of course, he preached with words, but he preached the loudest with his hammer. Think about that. Every time Noah would swing that hammer, Noah preached his sermon. What sermon was he preaching with the swinging of his hammer? Every time Noah would swing his hammer, he was saying that he was taking God seriously. Noah was preaching that what God said he was going to do when he was going to judge the world, and everyone had sinned, therefore worthy of judgment, Noah was taking that seriously. And every time, with every swing of Noah's hammer, he was preaching, I'm taking God seriously about judgment, and so should you. That was his message. And Noah was preaching that when God said that there's only one way to be saved, and that this great judgment was coming, and that way was by repenting of sin and going into the ark, with every swing of Noah's hammer, He was preaching that message. He was saying, I'm taking God seriously about salvation, and so should you. And every time that a lost person saw Noah swing his hammer, that lost person saw Noah's sermons on judgment and salvation. So the swings of Noah's hammer were speaking louder than Noah's words. Now, how about us? What's our swing of our hammer? What's the swing of our hammer that preaches louder than our words? Every time we hear a joke about hell, every time we hear a joke about the Lord Jesus, and we refuse to laugh, and we say, as one Christian told me yesterday who was working for a man who tells jokes about the Lord, and she takes her stand and she says, that's not funny, that's offensive. Every time she does that, every time we do that, we're like Noah swinging our hammer. Every time we separate ourselves from sin, we're like Noah, we're swinging our hammer. Every time we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, like Noah did, we swing our hammer. It reminds me when I used to go to Japan once a year and we'd have these dinners, these Japanese businessmen who would get together and these Japanese businessmen would never, never go inside of a church. And I knew that. And so I loved the opportunity. And I wanted to have dinner with them and to have what they called the after five meeting. That's what they call it in Japan. That's because that after five meeting is when you talk friend to friend. And that's when I would have the ability to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the after five meeting in Japan is also the time when the liquor flows. And, you know, they don't have very much body weight. So, I mean, you know, that, that kind of saturates through them pretty fast. They get drunk pretty easily. And so they would always say to me, Tamasan, drink sake. They'd always say like that, you know. And I'd say, no, thank you. And then they would push me more. Tamasan, drink sake. And so then I would say, Bible say, give strong drink to him that's ready to perish. Frankly speaking, your company is not that bad. (laughs) I would say that. I don't feel like I'm ready to perish. (laughs) Anyway, so the next time we get together, they would say, Oh, Thomason, Christian, Christian, don't drink sake. So Noah swung his hammer. Okay, now verse 1, it says here, The Lord said, Come thou. Verse 1 really is a very momentous time because it's the time that has come. From verse 1, the sermon has stopped. The preaching has stopped. Noah has stopped swinging his hammer. And before that, every time that the lost heard Noah swing his hammer, they knew that the opportunity to be saved was still open for them. 
It was still available for them. But there was a day, and that's what we're coming to here. That's where we're at in verse 1. There was a day when Noah's hammer stopped swinging and he stopped preaching. And that was the time when the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. That was the time when the door of opportunity to be saved was closing. And that was the time when God was showing his faithfulness to Noah. And so he says, Come thou into the ark. 120 years, this is the first recorded word that we have, where God says to Noah to break this time from when he first commissioned him to make the ark to now when he's finished, and he breaks this period, this chapter of building the ark now, and now he's starting to a new chapter coming into the ark, and he breaks it with the word come. He did not say go. That's a different word. He did not say go into the ark. But God used the word come into the ark. Come is a wonderful word. It's a wonderful word. When we think of the word come, there are two very important messages that come from the word come. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. First, When you consider the difference between go and come, the word come is a word of invitation. It's a word of invitation, invitation. And now, there are these two words that you don't see that are always implied when you have the word come. Now, if I was talking to a little kid, just posing, and I want the kid to be with me, what do I say? Do I say, go to me? when I'm talking to the kid, or do I say, come to me? I'd never say, go to me. I always say, come to me. Those are the two words. Those are the two words that are missing. They're always implied when you have the word come. You always have those two words, to me, come to me. If I say, come home, I mean, come home to me. And that's why Matthew eleven twenty eight is a paramount verse in the Bible. It's a key verse in the Bible where the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, those three words go together. Come unto me. And those three words are the message of the Bible. That's God's message that permeates the whole Bible through and through. Those three words. The Bible does not say, come to a religion. Come to a denomination. Come to a church. Come to a doctrine of belief. 
The Bible's message is clear. The Bible reverberates from Genesis, where we are now, all the way to Revelation with the message of Matthew eleven twenty eight, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that the word come is used. This come, this invitation. This is the first time. It's going to be used over 500 times in the Bible in the context of God saying, come unto me. Because the word come is an invitation word. It means that every person has a choice to make. Either he will choose to come to God or he will choose to go away from God. And that's why the word come is so often used in the Bible, because it emphasizes the choice of it all. Verse 1, it's not just a general come invitation, but it's a very personal come invitation. That's why it says, come thou unto me. That's a personal invitation. When the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to accept God's invitation and say the words in Matthew 6.10, Thy will be done. Noah looks at the ark and he says, When I look at this ark, I see the provision of God. God did not have to tell me to make an ark. He didn't have to give all the dimensions and so forth like that, but God gave that to me like a gift, like a provision, and it was that. When we have the spirit of covetousness, the message that we're sending to God is that your presence with me, that's not enough. That's not enough to keep me happy. I need something or someone more. And every time, with every swing of Noah's hammer, he was preaching, I'm taking God seriously about judgment, and so should you. That was his message. Then he showed us by his own example that when we are faced with God's invitations, we will face a conflict between our will versus God's will, and we must yield our will to God's will as he showed us that he did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he wanted with all of his heart to not drink the cup of God's wrath for our sins. And so he said in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It's all about those words, thy will be done. When we respond to God's invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying, I know you want me to come, and I come saying, thy will be done. In the Philippines, a pastor came to me with a very troubled look on his face because a lost person had told him that he would rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus Christ. And if anyone responds to God's invitation to come to him with, I would rather go to hell than to believe in and become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God says to that person, thy will be done. And if anyone responds to God's invitation to come to him with, I come, then the person responds to God's invitation with, thy will be done. See, in either case, the words, thy will be done, will be heard. By the lost soul that says to God, thy will be done as he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Or by God saying to the lost soul, thy will be done as he turns away from the Lord Jesus Christ and is lost forever. So the word come in verse 1 emphasizes that the choice is all man's. This is man's choice to turn to or to turn from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, because in verse 1, God said to Noah, come into the ark. God did not say to Noah, go thou into the ark. What does that tell you about where God is? God's in the ark. He says, come to me in the ark. In other words, if God had said, go into the ark, that would have meant that God was saying, go away from me into the ark. But since God says, come thou into the ark, so God was saying, come thou to me. When Noah went into the ark to be saved from the flood, Noah was going to God. See, that's the same for us. When we went to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from our sins, we were going to God. And just as Noah was coming to God in the ark to be saved from the flood, we come to God on the cross to be saved from our sins. Remember the message about where the Lord said in Isaiah, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And the answer is, look where? Look to the cross. That's where he is. So God said to Noah, Come to me in the ark. Noah was going to God to be saved in the ark. And so just like Noah's going to God, he's coming to God in the ark, every lost person comes to God on the cross to be saved. But the fact that God did not say, go into the ark, as in it's time for you to leave me. So I'll say, you know, God didn't say to Noah, okay, goodbye, goodbye for now, you know, bon voyage, and I'll see you on the other side, you know, (laughs) of the flood. Bye-bye, I'll be waiting for you. When the door opens, you'll be the first one to see. I'll say, welcome. And so, but instead, God said in verse 1, come, which means during the whole time when Noah was in the ark, God was with Noah. They were together there in the ark. So what God was saying was, come on in, Noah. So we're going to go through this flood together in the ark. I mean, it was a scary time, I can't imagine it. Very turbulent water. I'm sure he got seasick. I'd get seasick down there. You can't see. And, you know, he wasn't going to be able to see anything, just bobbing around in the water. But during all that time, it was okay. Why? Because for the whole voyage, it was God and Noah together. They were taking this trip together. That's nice. And you can imagine, you know, Noah, he's going around. He's got to take care of the animals during that time. Not a very nice job, but that's what he had to do. There's a great song, Never Alone. It kind of applies to Noah. It goes, I've seen the lightning flashing Heard the thunder roll, I felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. You picture no, he's walking around the animals and he's singing, No, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. So the whole trip, God's with Noah. I made all the difference in the world for Noah, how he could do this. That's what Moses said. When he was speaking to God, he said in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, when he was with all those people who were not content and doing a lot of complaining to God and to Moses. And Moses said, I don't care where you take me, wander around in the desert for 40 years. Just one thing. And he said to him in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, he said unto him, if thy presence go not up with me, carry us not up hence. So what Noah was saying was this, desert 40 years, bloodthirsty enemies, no water, lots of trouble, you know, all around. He was saying this, anywhere with God, nowhere without God. That's what he was saying. And that's what Paul taught us when he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we've mentioned this before, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. 
what is the way to escape that he was talking about. It's very simple. It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another great day of Bible teaching here with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you to pray for our upcoming Summer Blitz campaign to reach lost Jewish people around the U.S. in 17 different cities. This is our fourth year of doing this, and we want you to be a part of it with prayer, but also to help us to reach lost Jewish people. If you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel, you can sign up for a free gift to send to a lost Jewish person at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to have a gift sent directly to them or to have one sent to you to give to them. You can also donate to support Jewish evangelism and getting gospel gifts sent to Jewish people through our Summer Blitz and also through our website and supporting this program. You can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Help continue this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism going. Again, donate online at friendshipwithgod.org or calling us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. We also want to encourage you as Passover is approaching that Tom Cantor has outstanding teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 and Isaiah 53. And it's all from the view and perspective of a Jewish born-again saved Christian and from the Old Testament. It's tremendous teaching on the passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and Jesus Christ for us today. And it's a great gift to give to any Christian at Easter time, and especially for a Jewish person searching for the truth and evidence of who the Messiah is at Passover time. So please call us now and get the personal relevance of the Passover teaching from Tom Cantor. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll get this to you. 800-247-3051. Your donation will help support this Bible teaching radio program. Stay on the air. So give us a call for the personal relevance of the Passover. 800-247-3051. 